0: All right, would you pray with me? We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, wrapping up our series on Colossians today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, we are reminded even as we sang that last song that it is your love for us that allows us to be here. That even though we we might think that it's because of us that we're here, it is not. We are only here because... You have chosen to love us and to give us eyes to see and hearts to desire you. Because apart from that, God, we would not desire you. Apart from your miraculous work in our lives and in our hearts and our minds, we would not seek to please you. We would not seek to serve you. We would not seek to worship you. And so, God, just by virtue of the fact that we are here, whether online or here personally that we are just a testimony to the God who created us and loves us and that through Jesus you have provided a a way home the way to be reconciled back to you so God I pray that that truth and the beauty of that would stir our hearts this morning as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last section of Colossians 4. I just want to read it. And if you have your Bibles, you can open it up there, starting in verse 7. We'll read it together and then dig a little bit deeper. Starting in verse 7, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is, <clears throat> who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. So we have this conclusion here, this final instructions and greetings from Paul. And like I said last week, these are always interesting because you get kind of this flow of consciousness, this stream of consciousness from Paul as he's writing this. And what we see here is this this whole list of names. Like he's just naming people left and right. And really, uh, as far as I have been on the fine, Romans, the end of Romans is the only one that really competes with this as far as the length and the number of names that are mentioned and I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, I just think, man, can you imagine being named in that letter? Like, can you imagine Paul, like, you know, the Apostle Paul mentioning you or your service in, in that list? And it just makes me think, like, who, like, who wouldn't want to make that list? There are definitely people he mentions in, in more negative ways, but this, this one, right, at least at this stage, is a very positive one. And wouldn't it be great to be mentioned like that. I think all of us would, would want that only if for no other reason, just because we want our lives to matter. We want to, to know that, that our lives have been spent in, in service of the King and, and lives that, that will last, whose impact um, will last from generation to generation. And can you imagine being just one of these servants, just sitting in heaven knowing that, that your name was recorded in this letter for all eternity? I mean, some of these people that we see in here, we, we see in other places in Scripture and others we never hear from again. But what I want to do is just take advantage of this time that we have to look at this list and to ask the questions, who, who are these people? Why are they Why are they on this list? And what does that mean for us? So we'll look at Paul kind of tells us who they are. We know some things about who they are, about the work that they have done, and then he gives instructions to the church. So first we look at who who makes this list. And if you look carefully, you'll start to notice some things. So as I was just going through this, just highlighting the names and thinking about who those people were and thinking about what we know about them, And and a couple of things struck me that were really fascinating. Look at, Look at who he talks about. First he mentions Tychicus and Onesimus. Onesimus the, the runaway slave who is the the subject of the letter to Philemon, paired together with Tychicus who was they were likely the couriers of this letter. And so you have this you have this free man and then you have this runaway slave. And then he goes on in verse 10, Aristarchus and Mark and Justice, who he says were the only um, men of the circumcision, which means the only Jews that were with him. And, and so he mentions them. And then he lists others who he says are of you that, that are not of the circumcision. They are Gentiles or they are Greeks, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, and Archippus. And then he says, Give my, in verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So Nympha is, is this woman who has served faithfully in the, in the work of the gospel and the brothers, several men, I was just thinking about these names and why Paul mentions them. You have a free man and a slave. You have Jews and then Greeks. You have male and female. It starts to sound familiar. As Paul writes in Galatians 3, "...for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female." For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I just love the fact that I don't know. I don't know if Paul intentionally outlined that out. I don't know if he intentionally was gathering people in and saying, like, hey, also praise this person and this person. Or if it was just a stream of consciousness and he's just writing the people and the Holy Spirit inspired him to to mention certain people. But either way, I love it. Either it was just the Holy Spirit overcoming him or he is talking about the unity that he sees here in the body. But it is incredible as he lists all of these people together that he is thankful for. And then there's something else in that that shows this unity this is where I start to think, ah, maybe, it's just, maybe it's a little more intentional than we think. I don't know. But notice something else interesting of how he even refers to them. If, if what we're talking about is he's listing all these people and he wants to mention how we are transformed in Christ and the unity that we see in Christ. How he refers to Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus, the free man, he calls him his beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant. Another word there is bond servant or slave. And Onesimus, he says, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So the free man, he calls his fellow slave. And the slave, he calls our brother who is one of you. I have to believe that Paul is just in these sweet moments demonstrating the unity that is found in the gospel. We can't forget this power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he forms people who are not a people. He grafts dead branches into a tree. He takes people and so unites them that they're referred to as his, we're referred to as his very body. That's how united we are to be. He isn't taking people from, this this isn't just something so simple as saying like, oh, I'm going to take people from the west side of the river in Peshtigo and the right side of the river in Peshtigo, or, and did I say the right side? I meant east side. That's also the right side. But, um, and, then, and unite them together. And like that's going to be some big powerful uniting thing. These are people who wouldn't even have socialized together. Jews and Greeks who could not eat together. Let alone be a part of one another. The, this, any separation that we want to come, come at with, in the church today or things that we think are divisive in the church today are nothing compared to what the early church dealt with. Slave and free, to see one another as equals, as brothers sitting together in the same assembly next to one another, men and women unequal in the world's eyes, but not in god's eyes. This is the whole plan in ephesians paul this this theme that Paul has about unity is is on display over and over when he says he's talking about um, about how Gentiles and Jews are being grafted together. He said, but now you, you're far off. You were, he was telling the Gentiles, you're far off, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is profound. It is something that the world had never seen before. He's saying, not only are you being bonded together, but you are one because you are one in Christ. That through the work of the cross, you are no longer a separate entity that you have been grafted in and abiding in Christ. That his life has become yours and your life is now hidden in his. And if your life is hidden in his and he is one, We don't have a bunch of different Jesuses running around here that we all have our own personal version of. He's one Christ. And so if you are grafted into Christ, and I am grafted into Christ, guess what? We are one. That's the unifying nature of the gospel. And it is blood-bought, and Paul is eager to maintain it. Later in Ephesians, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is why it's so important during this time to maintain the unity of the church. This is why I refuse to just stand by and let the church be divided by something as silly as the the happenings in the world today, like politics or whether we wear masks or not. Like the church has been forged under far worse conditions. I mean, an oppressive regime People had literally stole from one another, oppressed one another, abused one another, disparaged one another, mocked one another. And through the blood of Christ, they became a family. So Paul is exhorting them. Look at how you've been unified. This is blood bought. Don't give that up. Eagerly maintain that. Fight for that. Those are the people that are there. But what do they do? Like, what is it that that Paul is calling out that he's saying that why they even make this list? Well, again, with Tychicus and Onesimus, they are described as faithful. They both get that same word. This is a a key mark that Paul uses. People's faithfulness. Notice he never says in these lists... Like, hey, remember Steve and what a, what a great communicator he is. Man, he can really keep people's attention. He doesn't say like, hey, remember, remember Johnny and like how awesome he played that lute. I don't know what they played then. Robbie will have to help me in between services. But like, man, he had so all these skills. And you just start to realize like, hey, what, what Paul is mentioning here has nothing to do with most of the things that you and I think that we need to be impactful for the kingdom. We just live in a unique time and culture where we elevate certain gifts above others in the church. And what Paul is saying, they are faithful brothers. It's the, the greatest description you can receive in the kingdom. We can't skip past this. It is so critical that even when other people are wanting to tell people, when other authors in the New Testament are trying to tell people why they should have this hope, like what will hold them strong, it is faithfulness. And like we sang in that song of simplicity, it's not, it's not ours, it's, it's his. The author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Like the fact that God is Faithful is how we know He keeps His promises. It's how we know we can trust everything in it. He is faithful. All of the glorious promises found in Scripture about who He is, what He has done, and who we get to be because of it are true, because He is faithful. First John says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to fulfill what He said He would do. Paul says in Philippians, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We know that God will forgive our sins because he is faithful. We know that he will complete the work that he has started in us because he is faithful. We know that Jesus will return one day and make all things right because he is faithful. So let the same be said of us. Let us demonstrate and declare the glory of God in part because we reflect his faithfulness. And here's what's amazing about that. Like if you if, if, if you'd grasp this idea that there's nothing greater in the kingdom than to be faithful to God in this moment, there's something incredibly beautiful about that. And that is it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in right now. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you have made leading up to this moment. It doesn't matter how many regrets you have about yesterday. It doesn't matter how talented you think that you are or aren't and how you think you could be used or not used. It doesn't matter how many people flock around you for influence or listen to the things you say. None of that matters to be great in the kingdom. To be great in the kingdom is to be faithful right now. You can be great in the kingdom by being faithful just from now to the end of this sermon or to the end of this service. By going up and, and encouraging someone else or by, by just worshiping God and turning your heart towards him. It's really an amazing thing. That at any moment, I see so many people struggle over thinking, I've made a mess of my life. Like now, what use could I be of God? Or I wish I had figured this out sooner. Or how can I possibly be used? Like I don't have those kinds of skills or the skills or the the giftings that I see other people using to glorify God. God is declaring his faithfulness to a lost and hurting world through the faithfulness in the small things of his people. We'll just say, I don't know how this fits into this bigger thing, but I am going to do this next thing in front of me to the glory of God. That's the big thing. And he goes on, he says, those faithful Jews, they were a comfort to him. I love how Paul often gets this reputation that, that he's bold and brash and like doesn't need anybody, and we sometimes paint this picture of him, but that couldn't be further from the truth. He is constantly asking for the prayers of the people, thanking them for the way they ministered to him and cared for his needs. He doesn't see himself as this doer of ministry that's beyond everybody else. He sees the, himself as in the trenches, loving, so loving the people of God and loving God. He's desperate for their encouragement and their care, not as a way of pleasing people, but as a way of receiving ministry from brothers and sisters. And he talks about Luke, his beloved, the beloved physician, who was a, a physical comfort to him. We know that Luke was a doctor. He wrote the gospel you know, according to Luke, and he also wrote Acts. So he's this historian that, that we believe followed with Paul along and was with him all the way to Rome, probably physically caring for him. In fact, Paul says in, in 2 Timothy that he's the only one that remained with him. Luke is the only one that remained with him until trial. So we realize that part of being faithful to God is being a comforter and encourager to our brothers and sisters. Specifically this comfort. Like how are we meeting these needs? Just picture Luke who is writing you know, these accounts, but he's also physically caring for Paul. We have done so many, as a church family, I've heard so many great stories of what's happening right now. It's all the more important right now. Meeting the needs, comforting people in in love, taking food to those who are in need, giving medical care, giving financial aid, just being comfort to one another. This season is so hard for so many reasons. But especially right now, as we approach the holiday season, There's a heaviness in our culture. You know, with all the recommendations of staying isolated and apart from family, people right now are lonely and disconnected at a horrifying rate. And we, as as church leadership, only know about so many. You are the ones who are connected out there. We all have our spheres of influence, and I would just encourage us and exhort us, like, consider this, like what Paul has said about him, receiving comfort, like give comfort during this season. If you know someone who needs a call, call them. And let us know how we can provide comfort or offer help. Like, Who do you know in that situation? Who do you know that normally has family come from all over for Thanksgiving dinner, but this, this Thanksgiving they might be alone. Who do you know that, that might need some financial help because they haven't been able to work? Who do you know that just needs words of encouragement? What would God have you do today? And ultimately, he, he says what's comforting to him, he refers to them as his fellow workers. That's like a, that's a classic Paul phrase also these these fellow workers he loves and is appreciative and thanks god as he remembers people's faithfulness and as he remembers the comfort that they've given to him and as he remembers their labor and their work for the gospel and whether it's the couriers of the letter or his fellow workers for the kingdom of god or nympha who hosts the church in her home These are all people that Paul is thankful for because of how they've reoriented their lives around the gospel. People who have counted all things lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Those who have given all that they have, who have sold possessions, who have given their time, who have sacrificed energy and their reputations. They've sacrificed worldly peace and comfort all to see the gospel spread. I've often said, like when I, back when we were planting a church in Denver and we just had this little tiny crew of people, and I would say, like, give, give me ten people who will orient their lives around the gospel and go out into the world together on fire, and I will take that over a thousand people who would just come and hear me preach. And that was the point of last week. Just give give me 10. We'll say the spread of the gospel, the glory of God being declared to the nations through my life and through my words and through everything in my life that that is my number one priority that is the thing that give me give me 10 people who will walk into aldi and say god you have ordained me in this moment i'm just going to love you and love others to the power for, by the power of the holy spirit and to your glory like i'm just going to i'm going to walk into this grocery store for your glory God I'm going to parent my kids and the only thing I'm going to be really focused on is wanting to demonstrate who you are what you've called them to do who called them to who you've called them to be that I'm going to look at my neighbor and, and think in those terms like why has God placed me here I want to glorify him that wants to be I want that to be my number one thing People who would face trials as opportunities for sanctification and a platform to declare the worthiness of the gospel. I found myself this week praying as like, like you. I am tired of all of this. I'm so tired. I'm tired of the arguments. I'm tired of the conversations. I'm tired of the decisions to be made. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I was praying, God, just, could you just let this speed up? Can we just get through this? And I was feeling so convicted because as I was even doing that message last week saying like, don't pray against the circumstances that God is using to shape you. And the Lord in his kindness brought my own words back to me and like, you hypocrite. He said it lovingly and graciously. But it is an apt description because here I am in this situation seeing things get unearthed and, and idols, like in my own heart and others' hearts, being laid bare and, and, and those ties starting to be loosened and broken. And of course, it's painful. Of course, it's not easy. Our idols, like, we don't stand by and let our idols die easily. Like, we defend them. I defend them. We all defend them. And so of course it's gonna be hard and painful, but God don't. So then my prayer started changing. All right, God, do do what you're gonna do. I just see again all this opportunity for us to reorient ourselves and say, okay, what why do I exist? Why am I here? Where is my hope? What is my mission? Be fellow workers. And he says, by the way, it's worth it. In verse 18, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. When he says, remember my chains, I think he's just simply saying, like, look at what the gospel is worth and look at what it costs. Like, it's kind of this both and. He's saying, this is the cost that you would lay down your life, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. And so that may mean we're in chains. But then he's also saying, look at what it's worth. Because he would joyfully choose being imprisoned for the sake of Christ than living a hundred lives with the comfort of the world. He's saying it's worth it. He's encouraging them and exhorting them, like follow him. It's worth it. And he ends with these instructions to us. That's how I want to end. He's saying like, okay, like you, we see in this list, like here are these people, look at where they come from. It is all types of people from all types of backgrounds. People you would think would not get get, get along together and they are bonded together. And this is the work. The work is being faithful to God's calling in our lives to comfort and encourage One another, and then he gives these instructions and specific instructions for what they're supposed to do to encourage one another. He says in verse 16, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Which if you're wondering, like, no, we don't know what that letter is, it's it's we, we don't know. Maybe in heaven we will get to to see what he wrote to that church. But one of those things is this principle that we often talk about, this multiplication, that God didn't save you just for you. He didn't transform your life just for you. Like what he has done in you, he wants to do through you. And so he takes us and he transforms us and he sends us out into the world to declare the goodness of this incredible God. And so we are to pass on all the things that we learn. That's how all of us are here right now. Yes, we said that it's because of God, but it's God working through people, whether it was your parents or a neighbor or a coworker. But every single one of us is sitting here right now because of God working through people. Not a single one of you or me, like not a single one of us just thought, woke up one day and thought, you know what makes sense? I think God makes sense. I'm going to go of my own will, my own volition with no influence that has ever been around me. That doesn't work that way. And so this exhortation, like what you have learned from me, teach to others. Teach to faithful men who will pass it on to others. Don't keep it for yourself. Who else needs to be encouraged by what God is teaching you? This is a big reason, remember, by the way, for our scripture journals. If you have one of our scripture journals that we like to, to give whenever we preach through a book, it's because, so that you'll have some help, we just want to give you some encouragement so that you could walk through Colossians with someone else. Not so that you'd repeat sermons, that's not the point, but the point is that as you're walking through, you can be reminded of some things and you can, you can help one another and, and, and pass on what God has taught to you. And we want you to share those things with us. We want to hear those stories of what's happening. We want to share those to be an encouragement with one another. Which, by the way, with that multiplication, we see a couple of inherent warnings, too, that we can't overlook. So for those of you who are well-versed in Scripture, you may recognize that term, the Laodiceans. You may be thinking about somewhere else where they are mentioned. So they were near each other. These were neighboring cities. And they were saying, hey, look, Paul's saying, this letter that I wrote to you, go share it with the Laodiceans. I also wrote to them and have them read that letter to you. An inherent is a warning to stay on guard because Laodicea, which was a vibrant Christian community, just 30 to 40 years later, John writes this about them in Revelation 3. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I think that that is a good warning for the American church. The Laodiceans had started out as a vibrant Christian community, but then they had gotten worldly success, and worldly comforts. They were not as persecuted as other churches and so they just kind of got into this place where they kind of meshed their own earthly culture with the gospel and it got to the place where the judgment of Jesus on them is you're just worthless. God, don't don't say that about us don't let that be said about us. So you're not hot or cold, like you're just not of value. You've you've become so apathetic and so detached. And so we know, like even in just a span of a few decades, that this encouragement to go and read these letters to each other, that that there wasn't enough, that they they needed to remain diligent and growing and we need to remain diligent and growing in our understanding and love of Christ. If we don't continue to move out of our comfort zones, if we don't continue to exhort one another and encourage one another to good works, if we don't continue to to focus on the gospel and the purity of that, then we could suffer the same fate. That's not the only warning that he gives that's inherent in this. Demas, who he mentions in here as one of his supporters, He followed and supported Paul in Rome and is is serving him later defects. In 2 Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I don't find it accidental that Paul, not knowing what's going to happen to either of these, mentions both a church and a person who becomes so wooed by the culture and by the comforts of this world Things that were meant to be blessings and gifts but have then become idols that they have abandoned Paul and they've abandoned Jesus. It's yet another reminder to stay the course, but we don't do it alone. Look what he says in verse 17. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Remember a couple of weeks ago I pointed out that Paul, when we were talking about wives and husbands and children and, and, and fathers and um, bondservants and masters, I pointed out that Paul directly addresses each one. So he doesn't say to the fathers in the congregation, hey fathers, tell your children to obey. He speaks directly to the children. He speaks directly to the bondservants. He speaks directly to the masters, expecting that they're all together, worshiping together. Here's one time where he tells people, hey, go tell this other person this. And it is encouragement to see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. He's not asking the church to be the hall monitor, like, hey, make sure he gets the things done that he needs to. This is a heart of encouragement, to be an encouragement we don't know what the ministry was for Archippus. We don't, know, um, we don't know what would have held him back. But we know that he had an assignment that presumably other people knew about, or maybe they didn't. And maybe Paul's just saying, hey, Archippus knows what he's supposed to be doing. Go and encourage him and exhort him to do that. He'd know he would need a boost. Author of Hebrews knows that we need a boost in these areas. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to encourage one another, stir one another up to love and good works, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Because it's hard, because we get discouraged because you hear a sermon like this or you read in scripture and you say all right this is the day like I'm I'm going to work and I'm going to go with a different attitude and I'm going to go seeking to glorify God and I'm already seeing ways that God could do that and guess what happens you get up tomorrow morning and you go and it's hard cuz you're tired and the anxieties and the stress of the world comes on you and then somebody says something to you that just really stirs you up and gets you all riled up and you're so frustrated you know how I know that? Because it's what happens to me. I come in and Jeff says something mean to me and I go get all upset. I don't think Jeff's ever said anything mean to anyone. But that's what happens to us. And so what do you need? You need a brother or sister who says, hey, remember. Remember what your purpose is. Remember why you're at work today. Remember why you're parenting your kids today. Now, how are they going to know that if you don't tell them. So that's one of the big encouragements I would give you. Like if you're feeling convicted and compelled you're saying, okay God, I see, I think I see what you're calling me to do to be faithful. Then tell somebody else and say, hey, would you pray for me in this? Would you encourage me in this? Would you ask me about this? And again, not as a hall monitor, but saying like, I need, I need some help because I know that right now I feel really strongly about this and then tomorrow I'm going to not feel, I'm going to feel not so strong about it. We can do that for one another. And that'll help clarify things too, by the way. Like, look, if you come to to me and you say, hey, I feel like God is calling me to go serve him and glorify him by, by going and getting drafted and playing in the NBA. And you're five foot eight and 55 years old. We can help you clarify that call i mean, go ahead and go out on a limb and say that wasn't the Holy Spirit that shared that with you. But that's part of that goodness of being in community. Brothers and sisters who love you and know you and can encourage you and say, ah, but this, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, I've seen you, I've seen God work through you in that in other ways. So it makes total sense that he would be encouraging you to do that in your, in your workplace or in your home. And we can keep pointing one another back and reminding one another, hey, by the way, that doesn't mean that you have to do something huge in the world's eyes. Go back to the faithfulness. We say it so often here that you should be tired and you should roll your eyes at this point, but 98% of what God is calling you to do is explicitly stated in Scripture. You don't need to wonder, like, oh, I just, if I could just figure out what God wanted me to do with my life, then I, then I would serve him. If you just tell me what he wants me to do, he tells you, like, 98% of it. Love God. Love your neighbors. If you have kids, parent them well to the glory of God. If you have work, work as though working unto the Lord. In a marriage, reflect the gospel. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, it's, it's very explicit. And even, they sp- like, share more and more about what does that actually mean? This is what I mean by being loving. This is what I mean by being gracious. This is what I mean by being kind. This is what I mean. Like, they, they, it spreads it out. Like, it explains it really well. And we so often get so fixated on that 2% that we miss the 98% that God is calling us to. We need to encourage one another in that. And we want to help you in that. There have been so many great things that have been happening corporately as a church family. We mean those things and we mean the small things that you think go unnoticed but are not unnoticed in the kingdom at all. I've been so encouraged. You guys responded. I mean, things like the, the Peshigo schools, like every teacher who wanted an aid got one volunteering their time and giving their time to tutor high school students and just support the school district in that way people who were I was here the other night and there are people over here packing up care gift baskets and care packages for health workers in our area just to say hey we we love you and we're thinking about you we just swore in a few more um, more Casa volunteers so that kids that are in the court system have have a partner in that and we were told by by one of the people that works in that in the community they said we don't we don't have this program without your church these are great things we've been supporting foster families and, and trying to facilitate adoption wherever that we can giving benevolence you guys have given so your generous giving through this time has meant that we have had to turn away no one who has asked for financial help nobody what a gift that is that's how God takes little acts of obedience small faithful things and and builds them together and pieces them together you don't know how often your simple faithful kindness to a person in one interaction opened the door for another person one of your brothers or sisters to come in and share the gospel and for that connection to be made you just don't know it's one of the craziest things and one of the most amazing things to just know that at any given moment, because you are a child of the creator of the universe, that you walk out the door and every moment that you are living in faithful um, service to him is a potential life-changing moment, an eternity-changing moment. Things that we will, wor- we will celebrate and be excited about for all eternity as we worship our king. I don't know about you, but that makes me really excited So every week we have people doing that. Those big things corporally, and those small things. Those things that seem small but are so big. And our job is to equip you in that. To help you in that. So that's it, church. I think in this we see Paul's just encouragement that, that you are one Family. One body, Jew, Greek, male, female, rich, poor, farmer, factory worker, police officer, CEO. It doesn't matter. United by one Lord with one faith. So let's eagerly maintain our unity and be faithful and comfort to one another. Fellow workers in the gospel and ask yourself, what does that look like this week to be faithful in the small things? What does comfort look like this week? And Encourage one another to fulfill the ministry given in Christ. Look for opportunities to encourage one another and to ask for that encouragement. And it is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you to help us as we think about these things and consider these things. God, let us be so consumed by you let us have renewed minds and to think about all these things in ways that are that are glorifying to you God let us let us have unity in the gospel let us be a comfort to one another and to those in in the world God keep us faithful keep us faithful to the work that you have called us to Keep us faithful to abiding in you. Don't let us stray. Don't let us wander. Don't let us get lured away or buy into division. Let us be, a, just let us abide in you so that we would abide then together. We ask you for this help because you are the only one who can do this. It is only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be faithful. I pray that that would encourage us and give us hope as we seek to glorify you and to declare your goodness to a world that is desperately in need of it. Amen.